Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday people share real and personal stories. Some are profound and challenging, while others are more common and relatable, shared with honesty and humor. But all of these stories reveal what God can do in our lives when we trust Him with the details. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Kelly, from the Storytellers Live team. On each episode, a different woman shares her story, often in a live setting, with the bottom line being that God is good. Our storyteller today is Molly. Molly lived life with the goal of being perfect, or at least good enough. But her life and mindset were turned upside down when an illness came on that for a season kept her in bed. During that time, she felt trapped literally in her bed and in her situation, but the Lord used that time to help her find freedom in several areas of her life, most unexpectedly to break free from the pressures of perfection. Here's Molly. Well, I can honestly say that I'm excited. That is not what I would have said even three days ago. Um, So, yes, Robin... In early January, God had just really impressed upon my heart that he was ready for me to share my story again. And so I um, so I heard it, and I was like, okay. And then right soon after that, storytellers sent out this email, and it was a survey. Some Many of y'all, I'm sure, saw the survey or whatever. It was a survey, and at the bottom of the survey, it said, would you be willing to share your story? And I looked at it, and I'm like, oh, I think I'll just close that right back up. I was finished the whole survey, and then it got to that question, and I said, I'm going to close that page. I'm not going to do anything there. And so, but it really just kept on my heart. And then just a couple of days later, Robin called. And I literally just kind of had to giggle because I was like, God, you always work in mysterious ways. So here we go. So, um, and I will say that since she asked me, just like the last time that I shared um, about six years ago when my illness happened, I shared with a small group of friends, and I told them, just like I'll tell you today, that the minute I said yes, Satan has been attacking every part um, of... Um, he, he has just been trying to tell me all the reasons why I shouldn't share and telling me all the, the reasons why I'm not... Um, I wouldn't be good enough to share. And one of those is that my suffering is not big enough. And that the suffering that I have had is nothing compared to the suffering of even many of you. But God has continued to remind me that, Molly, it's not about you. It's not about your words and not about your suffering, but ultimately about mine. So that's what I'm doing. I'm here and trying to be faithful to um, what he has asked me and called me to do. And he was reminding me in Psalm 105.1, Give thanks to the Lord. Make known my deeds among your people. So here I am, a mess of a person, sharing a mess of my life in a big way during a time of how God revealed himself um, in a big way during a time of suffering in my life. I'll start at the beginning. Um, When I shared about six years ago, I kind of shared the meat of the illness. And there's a few of you in here that were there. Um, And but today I'm going to put the buns on it and kind of share the kind of beginning and after. So I'll start with the beginning. I was well, first of all, I'll tell you this. I have three kids, Warren, Will, and Stuart. Warren is 13, Will is 10, and Stuart is 7. I'm married to a man named Brad, in case y'all don't know me or who I'm married to. Um, 
So fast forward now um, back to it. I was, I was raised in a Christian home, um, loving, wonderful Christian parents. I became a Christian when I was eight. I don't remember a whole lot about it other than the fact that I was sitting in the pew and I just had this overwhelming sense that God was speaking to me and telling me that I needed to go and speak, walk down that aisle and speak to my pastor and tell him that I wanted Jesus in my heart. And so I did. I walked down that aisle and I told the pastor that I wanted Jesus into my heart. And I don't remember talking to my parents much about it before or after, but I do remember them telling me, you just made the most important decision that you'll ever make in your life. And I knew that to be true. And so I was very involved in youth group. I was very involved in our church. We were there whenever the doors were open. We went on, as a youth um, member, we went on church retreats. We went on uh, domestic internet, uh, domestic mission trips, um, anything you can imagine we were involved in with the church and youth choir and all of that. And so I learned while I was in church, I learned a whole lot of, and I've talked to a few of you about this as well, that I learned a lot of the Bible stories, but I didn't get the big picture story of the Bible. And so, but I held all those stories and I knew all those stories. Um, but I never grasped. I learned a lot about what not to do as a Christian. That's the how I was, that's how I absorbed it. But I never really learned what it looked like to live my life as a Christian. So my aim in high school really became a lot about perfection and about trying to be this perfect person. And if I couldn't be that, at least I was going to appear as though I was. Um, so I went off to college and Christianity became very legalistic for me. It was very much of a, it was all about rules and commandments and it was about doing a certain thing and not doing another certain thing. So what that looked like was it bred a very judgmental heart in me. Instead of loving people where they were and instead of, um, um, loving people despite their actions, I was very judgmental. And instead of looking inside of my own heart and my own sin. And so this, this judgment was just being bred. Um, so as you can imagine, trying to be and maintain this perfect image hit a dead end road. And so I decided that after college, I was going to move off to Colorado and I was going to go sow my oats. And so I left Colorado, I left college, I went and moved to Colorado, and I stayed there for two and a half years to sow my oats and to figure this thing out, to find myself. And um, so I, I left and had a whole lot of fun. Um, I was determined to find myself, and I befriended some really neat people and worked a lot of cool jobs and met a lot of famous people and made a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, but can, my con- aim continued to be all about me. God never left me. I walked away from him. He kept knocking on the door, knocking on my heart's door at that time, but I never would open it. Um, I just continued to run from him. I met a friend who was headed to medical school after Colorado, and she was going to be going to Wisconsin, and I was going to be going to Vanderbilt Nursing School. And we decided that we were going to plan this trip where we were going to travel backpack through Europe for months. And so for months, if you know me, you know my organization <laughs> tendencies. So this is what it was. Every detail was planned out for this trip. And I made notes and I made notebooks and I had a whole container of all the stuff I'd gotten for all the countries we were going to go to. And I was fired up. I was going. My parents kept going, are you sure about this? Are you sure about this? But I was going. 
And so a couple of weeks before we were supposed to leave, she blew her knee out and she couldn't go. So because at that age you don't have a whole lot of brain cells and because you've destroyed a few along the way (laughs) and because you think you're completely invincible, you decide to listen to all of your free-spirited Colorado roommates who tell you, just go, just leave all your stuff here, just get that backpack and just go. So I did. So I just left and went and moved, not didn't move, but I felt like I was, but um, left for Colorado I mean, left for Europe and backpacked solo through Europe for about three and a half months. And during that time, I'm just, um, I look back on it and I'm so humbled at how God protected me during that time. Um, I look back on two or three instances where my life could have really been in jeopardy and he was so protective of me. And that is strictly because the faithful prayers of my parents, they never stopped praying me, praying for me and they didn't want me to go. But they never stopped praying for me. So I came back from that experience, and I began graduate school in Nashville, and I was miserable. I had this huge identity crisis. I viewed myself as good Molly and bad Molly. And I was struggling in school. I just wanted to get back to Colorado where things were easy. But I didn't. I knew that that's not what I really wanted for myself long term. So, again, my aim was all about me pulling myself back up by my bootstraps, trying to make this thing happen again on my own. And I found a couple of churches there in Nashville that I started going to. And I would just kind of go different ones, different, you know, different Sundays. And, and I started really hearing more of who God was. And I started working under a nursing preceptor who really became very, very dear to me. She um, became a dear friend. She was a mom of four and a beautiful Christian woman. And she just loved me right where I was for all the mess that I was. She, I occasionally opened up to her, but really what I remember was her just loving me. Um, with no judgment, no book of rules, just complete, pure love. So I started going to some Bible studies with her and then some more on my own. And I really began to open the door to understanding more about really who God was. So fast forward a few more years, I met my husband right after finishing up graduate school. And we got married, and we joined Covenant Presbyterian Church, and we found a wonderful core group of friends, who many of y'all are here, and a Sunday school that we loved, and we jumped right into Bible studies. So we um, did Bible studies together and individually, and it was there that I really first heard on my ears that we are born as sinners. And it is something I had grown up hearing, but for the first time my ears were ready to hear that. And... I absorbed it, and I heard it, and I remember going up and talking to the teacher and going talking to Brad and going, oh, my gosh, we are born this way. Like, we are born sinners, and it is not our natural bent to be good. Our natural bent is to be, sin- to be sinful. So we have to have a Savior every day to rescue us from our sin. So um, we started having children, and my par- I parented with an aim toward perfection, and obviously every day being let down. I wasn't good at giving grace because I did not understand grace in my own life. Um, And if we didn't already know this, I think I I really believe Jesus has a plan for all mamas to run to Jesus. If it's not through holding those babies in our tummy for nine months, it is through delivering those babies. And if not through that, it is certainly through parenting. Um, Because he brings us to our knees. Um, He shows us in our kids our our own sin. 
Um, so I had Warren, and Warren was about two and a half, and I was nine months pregnant with Will. And one day he um, began a sudden onset of abdominal pain and vomiting. And it was one of those moments where you just know something's not right. You don't go to the doctor. You just head straight to the ER. So we headed straight to the ER and were told that he was constipated. And I knew in my heart something that was not right. And we went home and we um, were home for I don't know how many hours, but then ended up going back to the emergency room and were there for over 24 hours. And he started going down and he, um, they were really um, just didn't know what was going on with him. And so the doctors came in and told us that they would were going to have to open him up to figure out what was going on. They knew it was something in his abdomen, but they just didn't know what it was. And so Brad and I said they had also told us that to, pr- to, pr- to plan for the fact that he would have an ostomy more than likely for the rest of his life when he came out of surgery because they knew that something dead was in there. They just didn't know what was going on. So... Brad and I went um, to pray, and um, we were in this room, and I remember him being in the metal crib, and Brad and I were holding hands, and it was just the two of us, and we began to pray, and he just prayed, God, this child is yours. This This child is yours. You have given this child to us, but he is yours, and we trust you, and your will be done. And I remember being mad was mad because I was like oh my gosh now he's gonna die I fully believed I I fully believed my will and my my plan for Warren was better and looking back on that now I'm like oh my gosh my aim was all about my will and not his but Brad had that that he was so faithful and so trusting and um, knew that God's will was better so Will came along a few days after we got home from the hospital. Will was actually, I was due for a C-section the day that we got home with Warren. And my doctor, I talked to him on the phone. He said, go home, rest a few days, and then see how long you make it. So I made it three days, went back, had Will. And then two and a half years later, Stuart was born. So <clears throat> we were in the place of the hard and tired, and I was completely worn out. Um, Brad was traveling a lot, and I was trying to do everything and do it well according to my standards that I had set for myself and according to society standards. And I really thought that if my cats, my kids act right, do right, and look right, then I must be doing something right. I was parenting from a place of pure pride. And it was January of 2012, and I promised the kids that I would take them to see Chipmunk Squeakle. <laughs> yeah. Brad was out of town. It was exactly what I wanted to be doing. And so it was only showing at Lee Branch, and so we went out to that Zaxby's, and we sat there, and I just remember sitting at Zaxby's and being in this complete fog. All these little voices around me, they were talking and laughing and having so much fun and so excited about seeing this movie, and me just being in a fog. Stressed, worn out, completely um, spent. We got home that night, went to bed, woke up the next morning, I had a fullness in my ear. And I just remember it was a fullness. I, you know, I don't remember much other than just knowing that something didn't feel right. So we had upward games, and we went on to the game, and Brad was still out of town. And <clears throat> I remember sitting there at the game and telling somebody, I don't think I can hear out of my ear. And then calling my sister and going, I think I have an acoustic neuroma. And she was like, what? And so we just start talking, and 
I end up calling my uncle, who's an ENT, and he tells me, you know, you probably just have a little fluid behind your ear. Let's, let me call you in a diuretic, and let's just see. And so I took the diuretic around noon and went on about my day and went to a baby shower that afternoon. And while I was at the baby shower, I remember going to the bathroom, and when I got up, the whole room just kind of spun. And so um, I decided I knew something clearly wasn't right, so I got in the car and left and went home and went I walked in the door, literally it was all I could do to just get straight to my bed. No shoes off, no nothing, just went straight to the bed and collapsed. And Brad came in from traveling and he had said he had tried to wake me up several times, but he just thought I was worn out and exhausted. And so he quit, he quit bothering me and just let me sleep. And then um, he finally aroused me about two hours later. And it was then that he, he and I both realized I couldn't hear out of my ear. And so at that point, when I got up, is when all the nausea and the vertigo started. And, um, and that's where it stayed for days. Um, so I, um, I wasn't in a position to be able to move or to do anything. So we called some friends who were ENTs, and they told us we kind of needed to quiet the system down and to take all these you know, medicines. So they put me on all different drugs that Brad was in charge of I couldn't even think about. So we were just basically trying to quiet quiet it until I could get in to see somebody, until I was able to. So we did all that, and um, while all that was happening, I was in the room, I just began calling out to the Lord. And after many days, we went in to see the ENT, and I had a hearing test, and he came out and he told me that I had 100% loss of hearing in my right ear. And not only that, my, my, I wasn't able to walk. I, my motion and my balance was gone. And so on day five, they determined that they wanted to rule out a stroke. So I went to have an MRI. And I just remember being incredibly anxious and just not knowing exactly what was going on, but still crying out to the Lord. And I was clinging to these verses. Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And what came to my mind while I was having that MRI were all the songs from my youth group. And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. That was a song that we had sang 20 years ago in youth group and it's been so sweet how God has reminded me as we continue to pour into our kids and giving them scripture it does not return void with a, we, God allows those verses and those the scriptures to hide in our heart and he will retrieve those for such a time as this and he did that for me um, so the MRI revealed no stroke and after lots of doctor's appointments here and there and in Memphis it was determined that I had what they thought was a viral labyrinthitis. So it was a virus that instead of attacking my, like, strep throat, where it attacks your throat, it attacked my emotion and my balance center and just knocked that out. So it meant lots of um, vestibular rehab therapy, learning how to move my eyes up and down, side to side, you know, looking at a ball, sitting up. I mean, just all these basic skills, um, you know, to learn how to do again. And so I... um, Hold on one second. 
So during that time, I um, just continued to cling to him. And it was so interesting because he was communicating with my mom and my dad and my aunt and all that kind of stuff, my, all my family. And um, about five or six days in, my aunt, she had texted him and said, I'm sending her a little book. And he told me that. And I knew what book it was going to be. I knew it was going to be this Jesus Calling. And the interesting thing is I had gotten it earlier. My mother-in-law had given it to me earlier. And I had um, read it, had gone through some of it. And, you know, just by the days, because I'm sure a lot of you know it's just by, it's a daily devotional. So I looked at it, but I I just was very judgmental of it. And I was very, um, I just didn't like how it was done. And so instead of me looking at it as how God can use this to work in my life, I was critical of it, judgmental of it. So I took the book that my mother-in-law had given me and I threw it in the trash because I just didn't like how it was done. (coughs) So, and God retrieved it (laughs) because that's what he can do. And it came in the mail, and I started reading it. And every day, God met me. He met me there every day. And I went back and I looked at the day before, January the 20th was the day before I lost the hearing. And it says, on days when things do not go smoothly according to your plans, you may be aware of my sovereign presence. Look out for me. Wait, on days when your plans are thwarted, be on the lookout for me. I may be be doing something important in your life, something quite different from what you expected. Don't try to figure out what's happening, but simply trust me and thank me in advance. And that was such a balm to my soul. I knew that God was doing something in my life, and I knew that this was all for his good, and I knew that this was his plan. Um, So he was continually reminding me of that, and I had this peace that just passed all understanding. My room became this holy space where I spent in just communion with him all day. And I wasn't able to do anything but lie there and pray and spend time with him. And it was so comforting. And I wanted it for everybody because I had never felt that peace that passed all understanding. And when people had said, oh, to die is gain, I got it. It's when I got it, because I was like, if I'm experiencing this kind of peace and this warmth and this calm and this comfort in the presence of you right now on earth, I cannot imagine what it's like in heaven. And so I was getting it. Then a few days later, so I'm starting to feel this peace, and I knew that God was working, doing, working something for good in my life. And a friend of mine that was at our church plant with us at the time came to see me, and she didn't know um, what I was experiencing, but she came to see me, and she sent a text after she left, and it said, and I've written all these. I mean, I, I have this is just like a little nugget treasure for me. It says, just an observation. When you are well and dressed up, you sparkle, but when you are at rest and at peace, you are beautiful. You are completely in the shepherd's care. And it just so affirmed the peace that I felt in my heart was exuding. And um, so I held on to that. And that was the day that I told Brad about the prayer that I had prayed two weeks before. I prayed one night. He was out of town. I was in, in the bed. I was worn out, exhausted, like so many of us are. And I was trying to do all the right things. And I would just ask God, I said, God, just show me your greatness. Just show me your greatness. And it wasn't a test. It was just a, I need you. 
And um, I was looking for peace and comfort in all the wrong places. And a friend of mine sent me, my pastor at the time, his wife sent me a text, and she said, um, Molly, I don't want to say it right, she said, um, she said, I don't know why, but um, here she said, she couldn't even, she said, I couldn't even concentrate on my Bible study because the verses that he kept speaking to me in your name was Isaiah 43. And she said, Molly, it screams your name, read it. And so I did, I read it, and that was it. I just kind of, I read it. Then on January the 30th, I wrote down all these things that I was experiencing. And I said, what I'm experiencing, I am not in control. I'm getting to experience the beauty of my husband's unfailing love, encouragement, and caretaking. I'm experiencing my children praying over me without individually without coercion. I'm overwhelmed and humbled at God's love being poured out onto me by his people. I'm experiencing, experiencing an unselfish servant in my mother-in-law. She takes care of my home and my kids and me. My parents and my sisters have been unwavering in their prayer support and full-on duty care of Stuart, who they had for over a month. I said, God is showing me, even when I try to simplify my, my life, that I haven't given him control of it. As a mom, I often desire rest, quiet rest, quietness, and he's shown me that that is not what I need. I need him. I do fully believe that this is all a part of his refining me in an effort to draw closer to him. And I wrote, I just told Brad of my prayer weeks ago, and I put an exclamation mark. And so from that point on, he knew that God was doing working something in my life, and I was experiencing this just great time with him. And um, a few days later, I had an appointment with an ear doctor, and I walked in all confident and all excited. I was going to have another hearing test, and they did all the beeps, and I kept punching, hitting, hitting, and I'm like, I've got it. My hearing has come back. They're going to tell me. And so he opened the door, and I'm just kind of smiling, and he just shook his head, and he was like, no better. And so I walked down the hall and knocked all the pictures off the wall as I walked down, looking like a complete drunk, I'm sure, but just didn't have the motion and balance. And um, so I was real defeated. I was very defeated. And I got in the car. My mother-in-law was with me. And I was just so angry, and I was so upset. And um, so she had reminded me to continue to call out to him just like I had. And by the time we were out of the parking garage, God reminded me that this was not a terminal illness, that he wasn't done yet, and that to be grateful that he only chose one ear of my hearing and that it was not debilitating. And so I was reminded that whenever I would pray and ask God for strength and refuge, he was always there. And the next day I sat up in the den for the first time, and it was just so cool that after periods of weakness, he gave me that sweet, beautiful strength to sit that day. Um... On the next, around the next time, next day, Brad's mom said, Brad, I really just feel like you need to go to this church on this day. And so we were in the middle of a transition. We were, had been a part of a church plant. We were transitioning out of there. And so Brad just kind of wanted to go to a place where just no questions, no asking, just go to somewhere where nobody kind of knew him. And so um, his mom had encouraged him to go to Brook Hills. And so he went to Brook Hills that day and he came back and he walked in. He had this look on his face and he goes, the topic was disease and suffering. And so he said, tonight, let's all sit down and go through everything that God showed me today. 
And so we did, all three of us with our Bibles in our hand. And the title was called The King's Authority. So if you're ever interested, it's, it's David Platt, The King's Authority. It's a two-part series. It's fantastic. And at that point, it really basically what he shared with us and that God showed me that basically at that point that it was a submit, it was more, it was really who do I trust more, my will or his will. It was a submission of wills, and I had to ask myself, do I really believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and do I really believe that he can do what he says he can do? So I knew that, and he was showing me that he is a good, good father, and that he is compassionate and loving and kind and forgiving, and he makes all things new, and all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And I believed that he could do what he can do. But the question was, am I willing to accept his will over mine? Do I trust him fully? So should my prayer be to heal my hearing? And the question was, in what what circumstance, healed or not healed, will he be most glorified? Am I at peace with that? So that became my prayer. My prayer was, God, I trust you and your will over mine, and I know that it's good. And I know that you are good. And I trust that you may choose to not heal my condition, and I'm at peace with that. And so I did pray for several times for God to heal my hearing, but I also felt like I'm praying for a convenience. Um, but once again, I knew that he um, was using this to draw me closer to him, not as a punishment, um, but to transform me and my heart and to redirect my aim. And he started showing me that I would have, would rather have peace and joy in him and not have my hearing than to have no joy and to have my health. And like I said before, I hurt for all of my friends who were out in this hustle and bustle of life and running the rat race, and I was sitting here experiencing this great peace. I wanted everybody to experience it with me. So we decided at that point, the doctors decided that it was best if I try to get, have a specialist look at my ear for perfusions, to have steroid perfusions put into my ear to see if actually getting the steroid into the motion and balance center might thwart things and um, might help the return of the hearing and the symptoms. So we left for Memphis, and I had this great peace, not just with my health, but with everything in general. And so on the way there, Brad and I both pray that that will be done. So we went to Memphis, and we checked into the hotel, went to bed, and about 2.30 that night, I woke up, and I just felt like God was standing in the room telling me to praise Him and to spend time with Him. And I wrestled with that for about an hour, and finally around 3.30 I got up, and I started praying. And so for four hours, I prayed, and I read, and I studied, and I journaled. And I never had never done that to this before then, and I still have never done that to this day. But at that moment, that was the... Um, that was what he wanted for me, and it was so easy for me to give that time because I I knew that that's what I was supposed to do, but also I wanted it and I needed it. And what I didn't know is what he wanted to show me next. And so he asked me to go back to Isaiah 43, and so I did. And And this is from when my friend had sent me the verse. So this is when the Jews had been released out of captivity. <clears throat> It says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, 
and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. And on down. My servant who I have chosen, that you may know and believe and understand that I am he. You go down to verse 18. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and the rivers in the desert. But I am he who blots out. I am I, I am he who blots out your, your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. And I was reading in one commentary where it said, Precious promises are made to God's people in their affliction and of his presence with them for their support under it and their deliverance out of it. And during that time, God revealed to me that I had some strongholds in my life that were burdening me, things that I had pushed down, and pushed down for a long time that I had not forgiven myself for. God had forgiven me a long time ago when I first asked for forgiveness, like in verse 25, but I had not forgiven myself. And he showed me that there were two things that I had not fully discussed with my husband in great detail. And I wrestled a lot with that that morning. I was like, God, why now? Why now? I mean, I'm experiencing this great time with you. Um, I've been praising you and worshiping you and spending this great time. And why do you want me to do this now? And the word that kept coming to me was broken. He was just wanting me to become more broken. So when Brad got up that morning, I'd been up for several hours and he knew that. And I told him at some point during today, I said, at some point today, I want to tell you what I was doing in the middle of the night. Because I knew that if I didn't say it, I would bail on it. And I knew that if I said it, he would call me out on it. And so I remember a huge burden being lifted off of me the minute I told him I wanted to speak to him. And I remember looking in the mirror and seeing wellness. And that is not what I had seen for weeks and weeks. But I was well, spiritually well. And I told Brad, we sat down, and I told him about two issues in my life that I needed to share more about. And I did. And through his tears and mine, he said, I love you more than I ever have. And you are more beautiful to me than you have ever been. Brokenness is beautiful. And if y'all have never heard the Ely Holcomb song, The Broken Beautiful, it is my anthem. So after we got back, I um, told him, and I would written in my note, that I felt like God was wanting me to share what he had been doing. And so um, it was coming up on my 40th birthday, and I had a plan for my birthday. (laughs) And I was going to have white teeth, and I was going to be skinny, and I was going to have my hair perfectly highlighted, and I was going to have glowing skin. That was my plan. And I was going to have a party, and it was going to be lots of fun. (laughs) I was so excited about my plan. But go figure, God's plans are different, and his ways are better than our ways. And so he had told me, that's not your plan. Your plan is, for your 40th, I want you to gather some friends around, and I want you to share. And so that's what I did. And um, I prayed really hard about who was supposed to be in that room, and he showed me exactly. And um, several of y'all are here. Um, And it was a sweet time. It was not what I had envisioned for myself, 
but it was rich and sweet nonetheless. So I had two more days of perfusions in my ear. Um, They did not work. The hearing was not restored. I still have total loss of hearing in this ear, which it all makes sense to y'all now. Why I look like I'm on a those puppet things that turn their head all the time. So if you're hollering me in the grocery in the parking lot and I'm my head's doing a 360, it's why I don't hear you. <laughs> I'm not ignoring you. So all those people who've thought I've been rude, I really just don't hear you. Um, but I don't have any motion or balance issues. I just have the hearing loss and ringing. Um, so I experienced brokenness at different points during this, and I did not really realize that until my two mentors at the time told me that when I prayed for God to show me his greatness, I was beginning to realize then that I was not in control. Despite my best efforts, I was becoming a broken person. God has and is showing me that all the things I've taken great pride in has kept me from experiencing the fullness of his joy, from fully trusting in him and walking fully in him. He slowly began to move the pendulum from one of pride and perfection and self-sufficiency to one of being completely broken with a change in my aim. Then I experienced this in Memphis, and he showed me that he had forgiven me a long time ago when I first asked for forgiveness, but I had not accepted his forgiveness for these past sins, and therefore they had become strongholds in my life that were preventing me from fully experiencing joy through him. And I just think it's so cool how he impressed that chapter on my friend's heart. And she, with my name on it, and she was obedient, and she sent that to me, and he, and I was transformed through it. Um, our pastor shared with us once that God tests us for three reasons, just like in James. And it says, not if, but when you meet various trials. So we will all, we all experience suffering, and we will all have various trials. <coughs> But he said that he does it for three reasons, to show us what we know, to show us what we don't know, and to reveal our heart, what pockets of sin are in our heart that need to be revealed. I knew my Savior, but I was not pushing towards godliness and holiness. I did not fully believe that his plan is better than mine. He gave me a glimpse of him so that I could see how far my aim was off the mark. He uses our trials and our heart and our messy to draw us closer to him, and he comes after us. Paul David Tripp wrote, if some of y'all have a New Morning Mercies daily devotional, um, he wrote recently in um, talking about Mark 6 where he talks about the disciples and when God told the disciples to go from Galilee to Bethsaida and he told them to get in the boat and go and they did. And they were in the boat and the winds were the winds were howling and the storms were surging and the winds, I mean the waves were high And I can't imagine what they were thinking. They had to have been all those things that we feel when we are in our trials. They were, they were, they didn't know this was impossible. They were tired. They were worn out. They were angry. One thing said they possibly were in there for eight hours. It was, they felt like everything was against them. They were exhausted and afraid. And he said, if God had wanted to go after their difficulty, he would have just said a word and the seas would have been calm. But he didn't. Instead, this always gets me. He started walking because he wasn't after the difficulty. He was after the men in the middle of the difficulty. And he came after me. And this side of heaven will never experience the complete fullness or peace or joy that he can give us. But I feel like he dusted my shades off just a little bit. 
And now I do long for the days when I was resting in him in that room, fully resting in him and him alone and being fully dependent on him for everything every day. He gave me just what I needed then, and he will give me just what I need now. But our distractions and our frustrations are daily. My perspective has changed. I need him. Every minute of every hour, I need him. And unfortunately, I still think other things will give me peace. But when I choose to sit back and ask myself, what am I aiming for? Am I aiming for control? And am I aiming for perfection? Am I aiming for completed tasks, for self-sufficiency, for the approval of man? Am I aiming for comfort and peace in all the wrong places? Then once I answer those honestly, then instead I have to say I choose to believe who you are. And so I must believe that you can do what you say you can do. And so for this moment, I'm aiming towards you. Even on our very worst, self-absorbed, grumbling and complaining day, he still showers us with his perfect love. If eternity with God is our goal, then we've got to keep reevaluating, readjusting, and refocusing our aim. I'm in the race, and he's not done with me yet. And the goal is not just to get me to the door, but to transform me along the way. And so I'm going to leave you with this verse, Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do— forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so I'm leaving y'all today with these little darts. They're suction cup darts to remind us of our aim. And wherever it is where you have to be reminded most to refocus the aim, put it there. If it's in your car, in your kitchen, or your mirror, wherever it is, but just a little reminder that we are constantly having to refocus our aim um, towards holiness. Thanks for joining us today for Molly's story. I feel like when I see the dartboard hanging on my son's closet door that I will now see it in a whole new light and be reminded to reevaluate my aim. I'm a perfectionist myself and I know it's hard to break free from those pressures, but it's so important for us to be reminded that it's not about what we're aiming for, but who we're aiming for. And we are aiming for and toward a God who loves us more than we could ever imagine. We hope that you enjoyed today's story. If you're enjoying all of our stories, will you consider leaving us a rating or a review on iTunes. It helps tremendously in raising awareness of the podcast. We are so grateful for all of you and we hope that you'll join us again soon.